theyeshiva.net. Thank you. Thank you so much. Just give me a heads up that you could see me and hear me. Perfect. Thank you so much, Rabbi Davis Schlitter, for your kind words. Thank you so much, my dear beloved friend, Rabbi Naftali. Thank you so much, all of my beloved friends, Laman Achai Vireyai, Adabra Nashalem Bach, who have gathered here for this special convention of Achtos, of Ahava, of Chiba, of Reyes, of Ishis Reyu Yazoiru, Ula Ochiv Yoimar Chazak, to be able to say together Chazak Chazak, Venis Chazak. And it's really a privilege for me to be here with all of you. And I know all of the organizations joined and united by Aleinu. So thank you to everybody who's joining us, the rabbis and the rabbitsons, the educators and the teachers, and the mekarvim and the mekarvois, the mechanchim and the mechanchais. Thank you for uh, everybody from Jewish Futures and JLE, Er Sameach, RCUS, of course, all of the United Synagogues, all of the members of Seed, and all of the Rabbonim, Askanim, from all different Chugim who are here, Mizrahi, Chabad, Er Sameach, Er Shatorah, of course, all of the rabbis of the United Synagogues and all of the other organizations connected here, and whoever is joining us here, Mikarov, Umirachik, thank you very much, and thank you for the schus and the privilege of being here with you this evening. And Agut Chaydish to one and every, to one and all. I still uh, recall fondly, it wasn't so long ago, even though it seems it was eons ago, our time together. Just, uh, one year ago, or a little more than one year ago, before uh, Corona hit the globe, at least in a palpable way. And uh, the time that we spent together, we learned together, we shmuazed, fabrenged, ate, drank, sang, and celebrated life and Jewish life and the Jewish future. Today, a year later, we have to say, and I'm not the one who gets credit for the phrase, that gam zoom latoiva to utilize the opportunities that we have to still retain our connection and learn together and fabreng together and shmooze together and sing together and laugh together and cry together and dance together and celebrate life with each other. Laitoiv heyaisa adam levadai seems to have been said about the human condition from the first moment of creation, but certainly very applicable to our times today. It's not good for children to be alone. It's not good for teenagers to be alone. You don't have to be a genius for that. And it's not good for the elderly to be alone. It's not good for Rabbonim and Rebetzins to be alone. We need to connect. We need to reach out. We need to be here for each other more than ever. At this special evening, I'm reminded of a beautiful vart from a Jew known as Reb Yecheskel of Kuzmir. Reb Chatzkel of Kuzmir was one of the great Hasidic masters. He was a student of the Chayza of Lublin, the Seer of Lublin. He was the grandfather of the first Majitzer Rebbe, the Hasidic dynasty of Majitz, famous for its Negina and beautiful Majitz and Negunim and melodies. He's known as Reb Chatzkel of Kuzmir. Kuzmir is a city in Poland. He passed away. Tafresh Tez Zion, which would be uh, 18, 1856. 
And Reb Chatzkel once said, we all know Rabbi Akiva's words quoted in Rashi, Parshas Kedoshim from the Mechilta, it's a great principle in the Torah. He says, what does Rabbi Akiva really mean? Is he saying that it's a mitzvah that's important? Obviously. The Medrash says, You know, don't sit and weigh mitzvahs of Torah. Is Rabbi Akiva really saying some mitzvahs are like pratim? They're, they're, you know, the, they're the specifics, they're the details. And some mitzvahs are klalim, they're, they're principles. But I want to tell you, this is a klal gadol. It's, it's a great principle in Torah. Is this to the exclusion of others? What exactly is Rabbi Akiva's message? And Rabbi Chatzkel of Kuzmer gave, I guess you could call it a homiletical interpretation. And he said, is there a klal katan b'tayra? Is there a klal gadol b'tayra? Is there a klal achi gadol? You know, in Pera klal gadol in Shabbos where the Gemara addresses the klal and the prat and the klal gadol and the great klal and the small klal. So he said, maybe Rabbi Akiva also meant something else. And that is, v'hafta l'reicha kamecha ze klal gadol b'tayra. We have the person who we call a gadol b'tayra. A gadol, a gadol b'yisrael. A great man, a great human being. I I love it. I told you, Gamzum Lutaiver Ibn Naftali. Okay. If any of you are tech savvy, there's a way how to go on to participants and mute all. <laughs> you can even mute me and I'll also listen. <laughs> So Reb Chatzkel said, Gadol B'tayra. There's somebody who's a Gadol B'tayra. He says, what's a Gadol B'tayra? So you say, he steigs, he learns, he's a Bucky in Bavli, he's a Bucky in Yerushalmi, he's a Bucky in Rambam, in Tur, in Shulchan Aruch, in Rishonim, in Acharonim. He's a Gadol B'tayra, he's a giant in Taira. Emes. Amr Rebbe Akiva. Comes Rebbe Akiva says, Rebbe Akiva was considered the greatest Gadol B'tayra in Jewish history, as the Gemara says, Rebbe Akiva said, Shaliva Shalachem Shalahu, but Kulu Alibid Rebbe Akiva. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, the whole Torah Shabbat that we have, Stam Mishnah Rebbe Meir, Stam Teisefta, Stam Braise, but Kulu Alibid Rebbe Akiva. It's all from Rebbe Akiva. So Rebbe Akiva, the one who transmitted the Messiah of Torah Shabbat after the Churban Bar Yashani during those horrific days, says, What is the Klal? What is the Nikud? What is the sachakal, the summation, the tamtsis of a gadol b'tayra? Zeklal gadol b'tayra, it's vahaftal recha It's empathy, caring, connection to every single Jew. Kamoicha, like to yourself. That's the klal, that's the sachakal, that's the bottom line, the makabapatish of what it means to be a gadol b'tayra. So, I thought it's a chsidr shavart. <laughs> then I see a medrash tanchuma says it. Vayetze Moshe, I'm sorry, Vayigdal Moshe, Vayetze Alechov. It says already in the previous Pasuk, Vayigdal Hayelet. So you already grew up. How many times do you grow up? Well, if you'll ask my mother-in-law, you keep on growing up and you still don't grow up. But Moshe Rabbein, he grew up already, Vayigdal Hayelet. So you guess, I guess, he grew up even more. So the Ramban discusses this, Rashi discusses it. The Mefarshe HaMedrash discusses is the two Vayigdals. It's a very interesting idea. One Pasuk and then the next Pasuk. Vayigdal and then Vayigdal. I thought he grew up already. But the Medrash Tanchuma says something fascinating. It's also Medrash Seichel in Yalkut Shemaini as well. Vayigdal Moshe Bamehigdulosoy. 
What's Pshat he grew up? What's Pshat Vayigdal? Midvas is a Gevarin Grois. What does it mean he was great? He went out to his brothers. That is the Pirush Hamilas Vayigdal Moshe. There's Vayigdal Hayela. There's a child growing up. Now he could finally stop nursing so he could be taken to Batya and be raised as a child. But there's a Vayigdal Moshe. What does it mean that Moshe became a Gadol? That he didn't remain in his ivory tower of Kedusha and Tara and Lamdus and Goinus and brilliance and holiness and purity, which is amazing. But in Vazbashtet, as we say in Yiddish, in Vazbashtet, what defines Gadlus in Judaism? The Alta of Slobodka spoke about Gadlus Ha'odom. What's this ultimate Gadlus? But he goes out to his brothers. I can go out to my brothers and look and gaze and write a comment and send a check. He experienced their sevel, their empathy, their pain, their agony. And indeed, he sees a Jew about to be beaten to death. He saw there was no man. So the Mepharshim asked, there was a man. There were two men watching him. They informed on him. He saw there's no man who will take a stand. There's no man. There's nobody who will care. Everybody will sigh and krecht and say another capital and send a $360 check to uh, helpingjewsinegypt.com. He said, will I be like everybody else? No. And the next day, he sees infighting, two Jews who can't get along. Here again, you say, what's my business? I have my own headache. I have my own shul. I have my own organization. I have my own school. I have my own work. I got my own problems. It bothered him. Why are you eating up on your own? Why are you destroying your own? And then when he has to run away, the story repeats itself. He sees innocent girls being harassed by the Midianite shepherds. And here again, he could say, I'm a refugee. All I need is to trigger the ire of the local residents. He does not do that. He gets involved. And he helps these strange girls who he never knew who they are. He still doesn't know who they are. Of course, he'll end up marrying one of them. Three profiles of our first and greatest leader before he is chosen by the Rebbein Nishalaylam. Three profiles. Number one, when he sees anti-Semitism, when he sees a Jewish life being threatened, he can make all types of calculations. He does not. He stands up for the victim and he stands up to the aggressor, to the perpetrator, to the would-be murderer. He faces infighting among his own Jewish people and he doesn't remain apathetic and indifferent and say, let them both clap a cup and vant, as your grandmother would say about people she didn't like. You remember? He gets involved. And then he finds girls, not Jewish, in another country, but they're also being oppressed. And he gets involved. Ooh, now I can understand. Those are the three things. All they have to know about Moshe Rabbeinu to understand the next scene. Peri Gimel, Moshe Hayaraya, and suddenly Rabbeinu Shalom appears to him and says, you're the man. I say this to all of you, my dearest friends, Rabbanim and Rebetzin, leaders of the Jewish communities in Great Britain, 
I know each of you in your own field. Zebekai v'zebekai. This one's shlichus of the Rebbeinu Shalaylam is in a shul or shuls. This one in a school. This one with frum Jews, religious Jews. This one with secular Jews. Some of you are involved in pedagogy and education and some of you in Kirov. Some of you with older, dem- with older people. Some of you with younger. Some of you with different types of demographics. But Hatsad HaShav, Loi HaRezeva, Loi HaRezeva. Hatsad HaShavr Shebehen is, you have undertaken a life of Vayetzel Echav. Going out to your brothers. Vayar B'Siv And we all know this is not an easy time. Some of you, Rachman Litzlan, are going from Levaya to another Levaya. Either virtually or physically. You're dealing with people sitting Shiva already for nine months. People who have suffered terrible loss. People who are dealing with illness and sometimes more than one person in the family who has lost their lives. People who have lost their jobs. People who are suffering from terrible fear and anxiety and mental distress and depression. People struggling with their children and with their teenagers with all of the technology that has taken over our lives due to the lockdowns of the schools and of our social and educational and communal opportunities of getting together. And you're, you're in the front lines. You are in the trenches. And for this I say, chazak, chazak, veniz chazek. Don't falter. Don't surrender to despair. Don't surrender to mediocrity. In the words, the immortal words of Shaul, of Shmuel Anavi to Shaul, you may be small in your own eyes, Shaul, and you may be right, Shaul was a very humble man. Nonetheless, the divine providence has put you in a position where you could be mashpiyan Jews, where you can inspire hearts, where you can kindle sparks, where you can embrace souls, where you can raise those who are downtrodden and dejected, where you can uplift in the shamas of Shloimei Amunei Yisrael, of Yiddish Akindalach, in every demographic and in every society and every matzav. See this as a shlichus gedoshah, as an unprecedented, unique, and sacred mission. Do not doubt yourself. Do not live in a world of ambiguity and confusion and darkness. Every single moment that you have an opportunity to uplift on a shama, to bring love and light and clarity and amuna and faith and resilience and wisdom and just simple old caring and empathy to a community, to an individual. Al yihi davarzeh. The Baal Shem famously said, a soul comes down for 70 and 80 years. A soul descends to this world for lives in 70, 80 years. In order to do one favor for another Jew, a material favor, especially a favor spiritually. Reb Itzalev Alojana writes what he heard from his father, Reb Chaim Alojana. That the soul comes down, so very similar words, comes down to be able to be there for another person. Sometimes we get sick and tired, we get exhausted, we're stressed out. We have our own issues. Rabbanim also struggle. They're not superhuman. You could tell that to the Balabatim in my name. They're not superhuman. They also have challenges. They also have to work on their marriage. They also have to work on their relationship with their children. They also have to work on themselves. MS, MS, and this is a very important time to do that, to consolidate your inner life and your inner marriage and your inner relationship. We're going to get to that in a moment. But never ever underestimate the power and the presence that you bring when you just show up for people. We don't have the answers to all the questions. We don't even have answers to 50% of the questions. I don't know if we have answers to any of the big questions. 
but we can show up. We can be present. And when you're present for people today, it has an incredible impact because everyone is looking and searching and thirsty for meaning, for purpose, for a good word, for some inspiration, for some insight. But I don't know if you always realize that that faithful, powerful mission that you have today in order to be able to uplift, unite, and be mechazic Jews without pretensions, without stereotyping anybody, without phobias, just with a purity of heart, with emuna in the power of Knesset Yisrael as the Am Hashem destined to be an Ur Lagayim, to light up the world and to lead it to a Geula Shleim And you know, my dearest friends, There is a, a extremely powerful vart that I saw from the Chidushi Harim. The Svasemes brings it in Parshas Ve'era, Tafresh Lamed Aleph, from Hezeda, Reb Ichemeir of Ger, the famous Chidushi Harim who passed away 1866. Hezeda said something, it's, it's one of these beautiful, beautiful lines, beautiful insights. There's a Medrash Rabbi in Rus, if Reuven would have known that the Torah HaKadosh would record his story and say, Reuven heard that they're planning to kill his brother Yosef and he saved them. He said, let's not kill him. Let's throw him into one of the pits. Laman, because he had an intention that he would go save him and retrieve him from the cistern and bring him back to his father. If Reuven would have known that the Torah would one day record these thoughts and this conversation that he had with his brothers in that remote location in Daisa near Shechem, he would have not let Yosef just be thrown in the pit and then go off to fast. He would take Yosef, put him on his shoulders... Yosef, a 17-year-old kid on your shoulders, and march with him back to Hebron, all the way with Yosef. If Aaron would have known that the Torah would write that Hashem told Moshe, your brother Aaron, your brother Aaron is going to come and greet you when you come back from Midian to Egypt and he's going to rejoice in his heart for your success. He's not going to be jealous and envious of you. He's not going to be resentful and say, my baby brother, I changed his diapers. How you talking that he becomes the Navi and the Rebbe and the Goyal Yisrael? It's not fair. You don't know your brother. He's going to have a simcha that you were chosen by Hashem to be the shliach, to redeem the Jewish people, together with Aaron. But Moshe is the, is the Novi Hashem, the main one. Ilu if he would know this, that the Torah would record his feelings, he wouldn't just go out to greet Moshe. He would go out with drums and tambourines. He would come out with a symphony. He would dance and sing with music to welcome, to make a Kabbalah upon him for his brother Moshe. He wouldn't just smile in his heart and give Moshe a big vademekush, a Yiddish kush, mwah. No, he, a whole, there would be a concerto, there would be an orchestra, 600 musicians, a symphony he would make to be Kabbalah upon him, Moshe. Ilu boyas. If boyas would have known that the Torah, the Tanakh, would write about him, that he saw Rus, 
an impoverished widow who comes from Mayav and converts to Judaism who has nothing. Vayitzbet Lakeli, and he gives her scorched grain. Vatoichel, vatizba, vatoiser, she eats, he satiated, she has leftovers. If he would know that the Tanakh would record that story in the Sefer of Rus, he wouldn't give her scorched grain. Ooh, he would provide her with the greatest delicacies, with the most delicious, exquisite, rich foods, stuffed calves he would give her. If he would know that the Tanakh would make note, this is the Medrash in Rus Rabbah. You know what this sounds like to me? They, like everybody else, love PR. <laughs> if I, Rabbi YY, gets a call, or a WhatsApp, or an email, or a text, or somebody comes over to me and says, can I ask you a favor? I need some advice, I need some help, I need some guidance. I might help them. But if I knew that the cameras are watching, and I know that whatever I do now is going to be reported tomorrow on all the websites, and I know there's going to be a WhatsApp clip that's going to go viral to two and a half million people, and I know that everybody's going to talk about it for the next week, ooh, then I would do it a little differently. (laughs) I would do it with a smile. I'll pause for the picture. You know what Oscar Wilde once said, right? He said, the best feeling in the world is to do something anonymously and then have somebody find out. Right? It's such a good Yiddish avoid, you would almost you almost think that Oscar Wilde was Jewish. Right? Anonymously, you ever tell Raftali, you ever tell a Hevraman? You don't want your name mentioned? I won't mention your name at all. Yeah, but maybe, but maybe. You don't need to, but but you know, Efsher. <laughs> Nobody ever took anybody to a dintoira, right? For mentioning their name too many times. I was never taken to it. will tell you, no, 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 no. But you know, what's the Medrash saying? If Reuven would have known that we'll talk about it today, oh, he would have taken care of Yosef and Aaron and Boyas. Something a little strange. Are they just, is the Medrash just saying people love PR and publicity? And Reuven and Aaron and Boyaz are no exception. Said the first Geri Rebbe, it's such a beautiful vart <laughs> that when I saw it, I mummish, I, I felt such a, such a geshmaka energy and I still feel it. He said, that's not pshat. The pshat is azay. When Reuven said, let's save Yosef, he was just being a mensch, a brother. When Aaron was celebrating Moshe's success, he was just being a good brother and a mensch. And when Boyaz was feeding Rus, he was just being a good, I wanted to say a good Samaritan, but he was a base Lechemite. He was being a mensch, a decent Jew who sees a girl, a young woman, depends how old Rus was, different opinions, who needs food and he's giving her food. Aye, this is what a Jew does. This is what a mensch does. This is what a decent human being does. Especially Ayid like Boyas. And they did what they did. According to their capabilities. In a normal fashion. Did they attribute much significance to what they did? No. 
they were being normal, human, decent Jewish, following the Shulchan Aruch, following what the Rebbe Neshulaylam says, Nosein titen, hanek tanek, be nice, loisamad al dam reyacha, be helpful, vahavtal reyacha kamaycha, madalachsoni l'chavrach loisavet. Ilu haya yodei Reuven. If Reuven would have known that the Rebbe Neshulaylam, the master of the world, was taking note of what he did. He was absorbing it in his own heart, and then he would record it and enshrine it for all of eternity in that Torah he nitzchis, in the eternal blueprint of the Rebbein HaShalayim for life. If Reuven would have understood that for Hashem, this meant the world and beyond. Hashem, the creator of infinity, the creator of everything, who transcends time, matter, space, and certainly transcends a human individual moment. Infinity takes note. There's that beautiful melody that they composed not long ago from the Tanya, chapter 41. Vihine Hashem, Nitzav Alav, Amaloi Chalaretz Kvaydei, Omabit Alav, Avoichin Kloyez Valevim Oivdei Karoi. Beautiful words. If he would have realized that Hashem stops everything, and he's standing right here, right now, near you and near me, and he's cheering me on. And he's like, yeah, go, you can do it. This is incredible. This is amazing. Why? Because I'm forgiving my brother. Because I'm feeding Rus, who needs a little food. Because my brother Yosef might be killed, and I'm saving the life of my brother. If I would know that for Hashem, this has infinite, absolute, eternal, timeless, transcendent significance. It's having a cataclysmic impact on the past, present, future, on all of history. It's going to be enshrined in Torah Hashem Lo'olam Vod Torah as a source of guidance and mentorship and inspiration for the Jewish people and for humanity. Reuven would have had another geshmak in what he did. That's the word. Now I say to you, my dear friends, they could have not known how could they know? They existed. Aaron was before Matan Torah, Ruf was before Matan Torah, and even Boyas didn't know that from his act of chesed, the Sefer Rus is going to be composed and learned ad before Shavuos and on Shavuos, read and learned in the Tikkun Lel Shavuos, those communities who read Megillah Rus, how could have he known? But brothers and sisters, we do know. Hindsight is 20 20. 2020 is the symbol of vision. We do know. We do know because the Rebbein Shalom tells it to us. The Rambam and Hilchis Tshuva and the Gemara and Kiddush and Memtes. La'olam yireh atzmoi ves kolayolam kulay shakl. Asa mitzvah achas ichriya atzmoi ves kolayolam kulay lekav schus v'goram loi v'lohem Yeshua v'hatzalah. One machshava, one dibu, one maizachayev adam loyma b'shvili nivra oylam hamekayim nefesh achas kilu kiyem oylam mali ayin royev oizen shemaz v'chol masach b'sefer nichtavim v'hinei Hashem nitzav alav uvoichin kloyes v'leim. We do know, and if in the past it had to be taken by emuna, not anymore. When I read as a child, and my teacher or my mother told me, Hashem is hearing and Hashem is listening and Hashem is looking, I'm like, okay, I can believe you. Maybe I struggled with it sometimes. Not anymore. Even Google knows everything. And WhatsApp knows everything and Facebook knows everything and that's where everybody is in panic. You hear what's going on? 
whether it's MS or Nisht MS, I'm not the expert on social media, but I know that human beings who created technology know everything. So it's now a Shaila if Hashem notes everything. This is an empowering message. How you, each and every one of us, each and every one of you, to be able to appreciate the value of every single thing that you do and say and think in and to be able to help people see their life in this extraordinary and unique way. I once heard a Gavaldic Award, and I heard this myself, from the Lubavitcher Rebbe Zechreina Levrachi, he said he heard it from his father-in-law, the Rebbe Rayat, Rebbe Yosef Yitzchak, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the end of Mesech Tesoit, the last Mishnah, we have all the simonim of Ikvis Meshich, before Mashiach comes, the Mishnah says, Be'ikvis Meshich, Chutzpe before Mashiach comes, chutzpah will increase. It's going to be beyond what we could have ever imagined. And then the Mishnah lists off all of the signs of Don't expect to see truth anywhere. Right? The Mishnah is very graphic. And what's the end of the Mishnah? What do we have to rely on under in these circumstances? We have a Father in Heaven. So I heard from the Lubavitcher Rebbe who said, B'Shem Hizshver, that the last line of the Mishnah is one of the simonim of Ikvis of the Meshicha. One of the simonim of Ikvis of the Meshicha is that we're going to say, Alma yesh We are paralyzed. We have nothing to do. All we should do is lean on our Father in Heaven and say, God, it's your world, take care of it. We lose our creativity and our initiative to change the world. Now let's understand what these words mean. Of course a Jew has to be We have nothing besides This is Hashem's world and as the Corona has taught us, you cannot all of the major, major institutions can come crumbling down in a moment's notice. Look what's happening in the United States of America. That country that was considered, you know, that <laughs> the un- unsinkable Titanic. <laughs> what's happening in Capitol Hill. What does the Apostle say? The institutions of the earth, of the planet, start faltering, start shaking. Of course, but what does that mean? There are two approaches. One is a gullus approach, and one is a more expansive gula approach. The gullus approach is, I'm paralyzed. I'm paralyzed by fear. And I turn to God and I say, God, please save us from this predicament. And that's also a madrega, but he says that's part of the simonim of Ikvus of the Meshich. There's a deeper approach. Daber el bnei Yisrael Avinu wants you as his partners. Don't be paralyzed during these moments. We have to be creative. We have to take initiative. We can't watch things happen. We have to make things happen. The Rebbeinu Shalalem gave us now a tremendous opportunity to bring Dvar Hashem Zu Halachon, Dvar Hashem Zu Hakates, as the two opinions in Sanhedrin, to Klal Yisrael Bechol Mekoymas Psureya, as the motto of this conference and the motto of this evening. The Posse Kinshir Hashirim, Adhani Ledoidi Vidoidi Li, 
Shir Hashirim Perek of Bossi Legani Achaisi Kala. Ani Yeshena Vilibier. I am asleep, but my heart is awake, says the Medrish and the Zoyhar Ani Yeshena. Sometimes I look at myself and I say, I'm asleep, but Vilibier. But there's a Nekudas Halev that's always awake. Yes, we're all going through difficult times. There is tragedy, there is loss, there is deep pain, there is deep agony, there is deep suffering, and there is deep confusion. And so much anxiety in people's hearts. Nobody knows the future, nobody knows when it's going to end, nobody knows how it's going to end. And I am not from those who are the masters of gematrius and can predict the future. The future only Hashem knows. We await Mashiach every day. When and how it's going to happen, that's up to the creator of the world. We often surrender to slumber. I'm asleep, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Leave me alone. To be on Zoom, I'm sick and tired of Zoom. You know how many classes I give on Zoom, Reb Naftali? I'm sick and tired of Zoom. At least I'm a Muncie and you know off the record by the Hasidim, the corona never happened, right? You know that, right? Right? In Muncie here, in some circles, it never happened. But we don't talk about it. So I can't tell you that we have complete social isolation here. But fart, I'm sitting here in the room. There's no traveling anymore. I've been home for nine months. My wife is at Sadekis. She learned what it is to be with me for nine months straight in the house. Usually when there was an issue, there was always an event. McGate in London and Johannesburg and Sydney and Melbourne, right? You can't deal with things at home. You go inspire the world, Nabach. But uh, now we're all home. And you get tired, you get exhausted. Everybody's getting exhausted. But the Libier... Shleimah Melech says, But you should know that there's a Nekudas Halev that's not asleep. There's a Nekudas Halev that's awake. It's just asleep because there's pain and there's anxiety, so it's easier to go to sleep. And you know why Libi'er? Because There's a Koyal Doidi, the voice of my beloved one, of our Father in Heaven, who the Shechinu is banging and pounding on the door. Peace, Chili, Efen of the Tear, my sister, my wife, my love, my dove, my twin. The Medrash says, Tamasi is to Umasi, my twin. There's a Shutfus. Open up the door for me. Open up. Peace, Chili. Let's open the doors. Let's breach through the walls that separate us. Let's open the doors that divide us. Let's open the doors that block our pathway to our own inner light, to our own inner infinity, to our own inner resources, to our own inner love. Peace. says, my head is filled with dew. I can't stay outside anymore. My, my hair, my curls, wet from the night rain. The Leil HaGolos, the night of Golos is continuing for so long. My head is filled with Duke. The Shechina says, I can't be estranged anymore from you. I don't want to be alienated from you. Open the door. Let's open the door to each other. Let's get rid of the divisions, the stereotypes, the phobias that comes from insecurity, from ego, from indoctrination. From the fact that my culture is a little different than your culture, my nusach than your nusach, my hat, my kippah, my shtraimah, my kapot, I wear this, I do this, I have this. So we have disagreements. But peace, chili, open the door. Let's open the doors between our spouses and ourselves. Our marriages should be beautiful and our relationships with our children, relationships with mishpacha, with community, and most importantly, our relationships with our inner soul. Realizing peace, chili, Hashem says, open the door, open the door. 
We don't have to be stuck in a cycle, in an orbit of paralysis. And I turn to Doidi and I say, I'm sorry. I removed my shirt. I can't put it back on. I washed my feet. I can't make them dirty. You want me to get out of bed and open the door. I'm already in pajamas. I'm under the blanket. Yeah, I'm in the middle of Netflix. I don't know what they have by you guys. I'm sleeping. I'm under Lomitsuru. Leave me alone. Vos Hakstemir, Avasisrol, Kiruv, Gaula, Harvatsasatir, leave me alone. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. It's time for me to retire. Rechatstias Ragalai, my feet are clean. Echachatanfim. You want me to get dirty? You want me to get soiled? But Koil Doidi Doifik, but the Rebbeinu Shalalim is banging on the door and says, Peace Chili. Don't get stuck in the quagmire of paralysis. Don't surrender to mediocrity. Don't live a life of quiet desperation. Don't become passive during this time of history. Don't be a couch potato and sit on the couch and moan and groan and watch one clip and another clip and then another clip and then another clip and then watch the TV networks and see how the world is falling apart and become a victim of crisis. Peacefully. Open the doors, open the doors between people, open the doors between communities, open the doors between nations, open all the doors between earth and heaven. But it's so easy, it's so easy to lose the moment, it's so easy to forfeit the moment. I just become an observer of reality. I sigh, I krecht, maybe I'll even write a check, but I'm not leading my doidi cannot stand outside, so he sends forth his hand through the hole. I homu love, and my innards, my intestines are stirred. May I homu loy, as we say in Yermia, may I homu, my intestines are stirred. And I jump up, I want to open up the door for my doidi. And I don't see my doidi nafshi yotza bedabre bi kashtiu veloy mitzosiu kurosiv veloy aneni. When doidi sees that I'm staying in bed, sholach yodim and achor, and may I homuloi. And then when I finally jump up, the search begins all over again. Doidi chamak avar. What a powerful description of certain moments in history. They don't repeat themselves. I believe what we all feel, that there is now a moment of kol doidi doifek. There is a hisairus. Ani yeshena, we may be asleep, but velibi air. People are so open. People are so thirsty. People are broken. People are fearful. You to kol mazdiyar. everything we came to rely on has crumbled in front of our eyes. I grew up in the United States of America, okay? You'll forgive me, I know I'm speaking to my great Brit- British colleagues. We were such proud Americans, you know? When I saw the American flag, I felt proud. I, I, I was a pretty proud Jew. I grew up in a very Jewish, very Jewish home and among very proud Jews. But we were very proud Americans. We saw the American flag, so we were in good of the hearts. 
or felt good in terms of American influence, American power, American democracy, American dignity, the Constitution, our founding fathers, Judeo values that have shaped America, the influence of the Bible and the Torah. I mean, those of us who know the history of America, we were so proud of America. And I'm still, I'm still a proud American. I'm still a proud American citizen. But let's face it, it's not the same America. And the Abish does a health and everything should turn out in the best way, in the most peaceful way. But it's not the same America. And this is without the corona. Never mind with the corona. Everyone, everyone crazy. 7.7 billion people brought to their knees. You might to call my arts. What do we do at such a moment? My friends, there's the approach of weakness and there's the approach of strength. There's the approach that is devoid of amuna and the appro- approach that's filled with amuna. The approach, approach that's devoid of amuna, and I'm talking among a believing Jew, is there's nothing to do. Let's just kvetch and be upset and lament and hope for better days. But that's not the approach that's required today. That's the question. And I believe the answer is unwaveringly clear. Our tafke today is not to be passive at all. The Jewish people need liberate, need inspiration, and they need leadership. Yeder yachid today is a rabbim. Don't look at yourself as a yachid anymore. Every yachid today is a rabbim. Every yachid is an institution. Every home is a shul. Every home is a base hamikdash. Don't rely on the big institutions, on the big people, on the big centers. Every yachid today is a rabbim. And every, every event and every person's connections can become a source to inspire the rabbim. One person at a time. This is a time to be able to help people realize that when one door closes, another one opens. When one window is shut, another one opens. Every crisis is an opportunity. Every obstacle is a challenge to be able to grow deeper. Rabbi Yashaber Salavechik, Zechreinu Levracha, once said, the Gemara says in Menachas Dav Chavtes, that Hashem told Moshe about Rabbi Akiva, Al kol koitz v'koitz asid lidresh tilei tilim shel halachas. You remember? Every koitz, every one of those tagim he's going to expound. Said Rabbi Yashaber, what was the secret of Rabbi Akiva who lived through till the Holocaust? One of the darkest periods of Jewish history and yet, not only did he thrive, he created 24,000 students and when they died, he didn't give up. He went to five students in the south. Imagine the lockdown, 24,000 students gone because of a pandemic. It wasn't the corona pandemic, it was Askira. What did he do? He didn't give up. He went down to the south and he taught Torah to five students. And from them, and he rebuilt Torah. How did he do it? I'll call kites v'kites, every thorn that the Romans perforated into the body of Rabbi Akiva and the body of Klal Yisrael, as the Gemara says in Brachas Samachalaf, what they did to Rabbi Akiva. Al kol koitz v'koitz, every thorn he transformed into tilei tilim shalalachis, into mounds and mounds of Torah. In other words, he used every thorn as a catalyst and a springboard for unprecedented renewal and reinvigoration and rejuvenation. That's what Rabbi Akiva did. Today is such an era. 
Everybody and everything is being shaken up. What happens at such a moment? Whenever there is demolition, you can view it as demolition or you can view it as the beginning of renovation. Reb Chaim Palaji asks, how could the Reboi Neshalelem send the Vuchadnetzer or the Romans to destroy the Beis Hamikdash? It's an Isser to break even one Evan, Anoiseitz Evan, Achas Min HaMizbeach Loike. It's Mamish an Isser Min How can the Reboi Neshalelem do it? The answer, of course, is the Mardechai says in Masech Megillah that when you destroy a Shul in order to renovate it in its very place, you're allowed to do it. Why? Because Ahine Sitze Binyan Mikri. Because it's not destroying, it's renovating. When you break down the walls of your home because you want to expand your kitchen and your dining room, you're not destroying your home. You're rebuilding your home. In order to rebuild, you have to destroy. So Hashem wanted to build a third base Hamikdash. He was creating the space for a new entity, Mikdash Nitzchi of the Beis HaMikdash, which is not a binion of people, it's a binion of Hashem, like the Zoya says, that's why it's going to be eternal, it won't be built by mortals, hence it's going to be timeless. This is a time now, when things are being demolished, marriages are coming under stress, relationships between parents and children, our communities, our institutions, larger and smaller, don't allow yourselves and your constituents to see it as destruction. We must see it as the beginning of renovation. It's opening the space. Peace chili. It's when the walls fall down to create new spaces, new awareness, a new opening to a higher consciousness, to a deeper consciousness, to a consciousness of Ein Oid Mulvadai, to a consciousness in which our inner infinity can emerge, in which we can connect with each other and with ourselves from a much deeper, divine, authentic place. When we're challenged in such ways, we are challenged to bring out our deepest authenticity and integrity. This is our calling, my dearest friends, today. To open up, create openings. Who said, there was a Jewish singer who once said, when I was young, I worshipped perfection. Now I search for everything that has a crack inside of it. Because it's the cracks that allow the light to come in. A lot of cracks have emerged in our individual and collective life. But don't see them as cracks. See them as openings so that the light can come in. And that the light can be passed on to others. Until the moment of Moloha Oretz Deyes Hashem, Kamayim Loyam Mechasim. When Aleinu Lishabeach, Lesakin Oilam Bemalchus Shindalad Yud, Bayoimahuyiya Shemechad, Ushmayachad Bimheira Biyamenu, Amen. Thank you very much. We want to, we want to um, offer Rabbi Jacobson a tremendous uh, vote of thanks for his tremendous words of inspiration to uh, last year when we sat with uh, the Rav in Aleinu. We didn't appreciate at the time that. The inspiration physic that he gave us then that was going to have to carry us through a year, the year that it, uh, that it was, to carry us uh, it did. And we are very grateful that we've been able to connect, reconnect to the physic he gave us last year, and it has bridged us beautifully to the words he has shared with us tonight. As always, um, the Rav has uh, beautifully synthesized uh, the head and the heart. Uh, realism and hope for for a renovation and we are grateful for his his words of inspiration and and Torah and we say Yeshikoyach and our tefillah is the Mir Hashem 
Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you. We could do questions and answers if you want in the chat. Okay, so here's a question. Here's a question. Here's a question. Um, how, to better, how to build better Shalom bias when there's no time when kids, kids are home all the time? Yeah. Um, so how do you build Shalom bias in that, in that situation? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. And I think, you know, as we say, we're all in the same boat. I think, nonetheless, we have to, this is something that's, you have to fight for it. Um, one practical suggestion is, you know, just by hook and by crook, you take a half an hour a day, 45 minutes a day, and you take a walk with your spouse without the phones, without distractions. I just think there's so much going on today in people's families, including in the families of rabbis and rabbitsons. Each child is being affected in a different way. You have to make sure your marriage is powerful. The marriage today has to be solid. It always had to be. Shalom Bayes is, you know, You know, when there's no peace in the home, I don't have to explain to rabbis the disastrous effects. But especially today, it's our strong marriages that will help us carry together whatever we have to carry in life. This means open communication. It means ironing out our differences, the issues that have come between us, working them through. If you need the help of a professional, don't be hesitant to do that. It's important to listen to each other, to understand where the other person is coming from. Remember, we may be in the same pandemic, but everyone is experiencing different, experiencing it differently. What it's doing to your husband is not what it's doing to the, you. What it's doing to your wife is not what it's doing to you. Everyone processes it in their own way. We have to be able to listen to each other express to each other what we're experiencing, what we're feeling. Not be judgmental, not try to change the other person's mind that does not usually ineffective. It's really about creating space for the other person in the marriage and learning how to just trust each other, rely on each other, be here for each other, even if we don't agree about everything. But we really have to be able to feel the support that you have from your wife and you have from your husband because it's so vital, especially for the children today. So I say that do whatever it takes to be able to carve out time every day or as often as possible, even a little time, even a 20-minute walk is a lot better than nothing. Just connecting, just, you know, giggling together, just, you know, hanging out, <laughs> relaxing, just talking about the trees, talking about the weather, talking about not very significant things. You don't always have to talk about the kids. Just, like, be curious and, and bond but this is something that I would encourage everybody to work on, especially spiritual leaders, and to help your congregants do that as well. Another question. What would you suggest in terms of our leadership roles in the community, things that we could do for the community during this season, during this time? Well, I have to say that uh, watching from remotely, I think Aleinu and many of the rabbis and rebbitzins in Aleinu have done extraordinary initiatives. I see Reb Naftali and his chaveidim did not stop. Baruch Hashem. And I would just encourage you, increase, don't stop. You don't know the impact it's having. People are alone in the house. How wonderful is Ashir to watch television and films? It drives them crazy. Everything you can do. Shiurim, 
meditations, uh, musical programs, uh, book readings. Be, be original, be creative. I'll tell you another idea that may be helpful. I've suggested this to many rabbis and they said it was a game changer. If you have a community, say, you have direct contact with 100 people or 200 people, reach out to them and ask them to split up into groups of 10 or 15 with one person who's in charge and that group has a Zoom meeting once a week in which they just share with each other. You don't want to have 50 people because then there can't be too much sharing. But if you divide your community into groups of 5 or 10, and they meet once a week on Zoom, and you have one person responsible, a woman or a man, and he's responsible to say a dvatayda, to prepare a story, and then everybody shares. First of all, you get your balabatim involved, and they become leaders. There's nothing like turning your talmidim into leaders. They should take responsibility. The rabbi can't run every Zoom meeting. But you take your community, you subdivide it, and you make people achroi, responsible, and they can also shift off. And they're responsible to say something on the Parsha, to say something on Tubi Shvat, to prepare something on Purim, to prepare something about life, about Shalom Bayis, about Chinuch, and that let everybody hear and speak. And you know what else happens? There's a support program. People start talking about their challenges, their crisis. Sometimes you find out things about people you never knew. Maybe this one needs food. Maybe this one has been stuck in the house without a baby. You know, we can help people. I think to create those networks within your community could be magical and very, very powerful. And remember, to do a favor to another Jew is ultimately zekal ha'adam. It's, it's one of the greatest gifts we have in life to be able to take care of the Rebbeinu Shalom's children. And to be able to see every Jew as Hashem's ben yachet. Um, I just want to tell you something, a little story. There was a school here that was not taking in a, a girl. And the girl came from uh, her, she was an orphan. But, you know, she she had her challenges. And there's a seminary here. And the seminary has a very nice reputation. They don't want to take in the girl. So a friend of mine told me that he called up the principal. And he said, I have a question. Be honest. If I had the daughter of the Chafetz Chaim, Chaim's daughter. And uh, she was struggling with Yiddishkeit. Would you take her into the seminary? He said, oh, of course. He said, but why? It says, she's not so, you know. He says, the Chafetz Chaim's daughter, it would be a schuz. So he says, I told the principal, you believe in the Tanakh, right? Hashem says that I am Avi Yisayimim. I am the father of orphans. So the Chafetz Chaim's daughter, yeah, and Hashem's daughter, not. The Chafetz Chaim was a great man. But he was an Eved Hashem. Hashem's daughter you won't take in. The Yichas of God is not the Yichas of the Chafetz Chaim. <laughs> he got her in. To his credit, he got her in. My point is, when we look at a Jew, as Be'em, as Bonim Atem Hashem it's not a joke, it's Kipshutai. So then, extending ourselves, extending our arms, our hearts, becomes a different type of endeavor. It's a simcha, it's a, it's a tainug. It's not just so that you can go to Gan Eden after 120 years. It's that you should be able to have Gan Eden right here. Another question. I'm a rabbi, and I find myself getting into very dark moods and very dark places. How do I inspire myself? That's a good question. So I just want to tell you something. You're not alone. I think all of us, many of us who are sensitive spirits, get into dark places. Especially when you're a rabbi, 
there's a lot of responsibility and you're sensitive. And we can get in very easily to gloomy places. These are normal emotions, normal feelings. I don't think you're the strange kid on the block and the black sheep in the family of Aleno. You're a normal person. And I'll tell you something. People who are more sensitive and more spiritual get into darker places much faster than other people. People who are more technical and more physical don't get into such dark places so often. If you're very sensitive and your antennas pick up a lot of things, it's harder. Life becomes harder. So it shouldn't discourage you. This is your strength. Because you go into dark places, it means you can uplift people who are in dark places. Because you go into dark places, it means you can be sensitive to people who are in dark places. So just realize that. What should you do practically? I think it's very, very important for you to have your own support system. Are the people that you can speak to openly? Can you speak to your wife openly? Do you have a rov, a mashpia, a mentor, a good friend? One person, two people, three people, real chaverim or mentors that you could really open up. Speak to them. Don't be ashamed. We're all vulnerable. And today we all have to be comfortable in our vulnerability, even though we're not used to it, you know? It's not we not all of us were trained in yeshiva to be vulnerable. You know, you were often trained to ask a good question. And if you can, you know, f- discover the mistake that your Rosh Yeshiva made in Shear, then you're the unsung hero of the Jewish people. That's not a great recipe for vulnerability. You know, and many of us, we go from yeshiva to marriage, and we think success in yeshiva means what? You can disprove your Rosh Yeshiva. So what's success in marriage? You could show your wife that she's wrong. Right? And that, that's going to turn you into the greatest husband in the world. That turns you into the most disastrous husband in the world. So I think it's important for us to celebrate our vulnerability today. I think it's important for you to have that support system. If you need a professional, maybe, outside of the community, don't hesitate. Some of us can gain a lot from that. So just be vulnerable and real. That's number one. Number two, I think it's very, very important for you to work on your relationship with Hashem, your own intimate personal relationship. Davening, learning, his bainunus, meditation, whatever it means for you. And those svarim that speak to your neshama. You know, all of us learn Mishnayis, we learn Chumash, we learn Gemara, we learn Halacha, and that's critical to be Kaveya Itim, right? Every person according to your capabilities, whatever your Shiurim are. But it's also important to focus on those svarim and texts that will speak to your soul, that will speak to your relationship with Hashem, whatever that means for you. And today, you could learn from any Rebbe in the world, any Rebbe, Rosh Hashiva in the world, because it's all up there. It's all out there, even if you can't go physically to their classes. So I would encourage you to do that. And the last thing I would say is, it's extremely important, I think, for you to be able to uh, ask yourself where that darkness is coming from. Maybe with the help of somebody, you can analyze what's going on inside of you. You can trace it back to the origin. And then it will become an alarm clock that will make you aware of your issues and struggles and you can gain healing. This is a time of healing. All the trauma is coming out, the toxicity is coming out, the darkness is coming out. Hashem wants us to heal it. That's what happens before Gula. All the horrible things within ourselves come out, not to destroy us, so that we should be able to confront it once and for all. There's intergenerational trauma in the Jewish world for 2,000 years. Maybe for 5,000 years, since the Eitz Hadas. Somehow our generation was given the opportunity to deal with that trauma. That's why you see kids growing up in the nicest homes, in the best environments, 
didn't have very hard lives like our fathers and mothers and grandparents, and yet they're miserable. And it's not their fault. They inherited your anxiety, your mother's anxiety, your grandfather's anxiety. I'm telling this to you. Now you think maybe I'm exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. I, be- I believe this is the truth. It's not always their own thing. If I didn't deal with my anxiety, my son is going to deal with it. Just like my parents didn't deal with their anxiety, I deal with it. That's how it works. So don't despair. Don't go crazy. Don't get angry. You may get angry, but it's not going to help you. Rather, embrace the gift and the opportunity and say, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to help myself. When I help myself, I'm going to help others. Next question. Good questions. What do you tell people who have lost loved ones, like people in our community who have lost loved ones? Some of them lost more than one loved one. What do you tell them? Well, I think we all know the answer to this is that the first and foremost thing is empathy. Empathy, empathy, empathy. Like Rashi says, Hashem appears in the sne and not in any other tree. It's a thorn bush because the Jews are burning. I have to be there with them. I can't sit in an ivory tower and say, it's going to be good. God has his plans. Everything is good. First thing is I have to connect. I have to empathy. And when a rabbi and a rebbetzin show empathy, it goes a long way. I can't fix the problems. I don't have a solution. I don't have an answer. But I can cry with you. I can hug you, physically or virtually. I can listen to you. I can ponder with you. I can grieve with you. I can remember with you. That's the first and foremost thing. People have to feel my heart. They have to feel your heart. And it's difficult. Sometimes you don't have the mental space. Sometimes you don't have the time. Sometimes you don't have the energy. You already did it earlier in the day. And yet, v'koyve Hashem yachlifu kayach. Take a cup of coffee, an iced coffee. If you need a milkshake, make a, do a milkshake. Do some exercise, whatever it is you need to do. I have to get myself together and say, I'm now going to be here for people. And people appreciate empathy. It does a tremendous amount of goodness because it connects us. I think that's for, first and foremost. And then the second thing, of course, is to really be able to empower people. And tell them, we don't really know the reasons. We don't know the reasons. Who could say that we know the reasons for corona? We know the reasons for different tragedies. We don't. What we do know is that every neshama has a shlichus and a mission. The Rebbe Neshalalim knows the journey of every soul. And when it's completed, and he takes care of the soul and brings it to the places it has to go. Some souls now are not having big funerals and big levayas and big hespedim and shiva calls. But it's not a mistake. Every neshama gets exactly what it needs to be able to go back to the place where it needs to go. We also have to discuss the nitzchiyas of a neshama. A soul never dies. The inner consciousness never dies. I give a marshal which I think could be useful. A marshal from electricity. When you unplug the refrigerator, the electricity doesn't die. Where does the electricity go? It retreats back to its source doesn't die. What happens before you unplug the refrigerator? 
The refrigerator is a facilitator, a conduit for the electricity. When you unplug it, the electricity just goes back to its source, and the refrigerator cannot be anymore the keli, the container, the vessel, to channel that electricity. Same is true with a vacuum cleaner or an air conditioner or a, uh, or a video camera or a laptop when the battery is dead. The neshama is divine electricity. When we're physically alive, the electricity is channeled through the guf. And it's amazing. We love that. We cherish it. When a person passes away, chas v'shalom, to think of it, they're dead. The electricity retreated to its own organic, innate, natural space. And the physical vehicle, the guf, can't anymore channel that energy. We grieve. We cry. We're broken. We're sad. Because the void is palpable. But we never, ever doubt that the person's life is just over. That they're finished. There's no sorrow to Paul had left. Chas v'shalom. You know, I think these types of ideas and how the neshama continues to look after its loved ones and pray for it and be there are all powerful, powerful to people. And how each and every single one of us you know, has those deep connections with people who will continue to be here for us. And, and be ma'irachemim for us and look out for us. And, and they want us to celebrate life. They want us to live. They want us to continue their song, to continue their legacy. You know, the word from the Balshemtiv, he said, when somebody dies, there is silence and there are tears and there is music. He says, there's silence, there's nothing to say. There's tears because we grieve and there's song because we want to make sure that their song is not interrupted. So we continue to sing their song. We sing in order to continue their ballad. Because every person's chayim is really a shira, it's a song. Very good questions. Another question. What do you do when your own teenagers are struggling very heavily? We can save the world, but what happens when our own families are falling apart? You are touching now on something very, very real. Very, very real. This is a deep truth today. This is a deep truth today that we are all being affected very heavily in our own families, in our own homes, in our own communities. I don't have here the magical pill, but all I say is we have to be so connected to our children today. Do not let go of your children. And if you have children who are disappointing you, hold on even stronger. (laughs) If your children are not following that trajectory, you know, that plan, don't sever your cord. It's easy for me to go upstairs, close the door, avoid confrontation because I want to be a nice father. You remain present in their lives. We have to be emotionally connected as much as possible. Conversations, compliments, attention, love, feedback, schmoozing, bonding, connecting. And the little ones, oh, start now. Start when they're one and two and three. Don't wait when they're 17 and you want to get them into the mirror. Or they're 19 and you want to get them into brisk. Two years old, one years old, even though we have to be there for our children today. We all know the seer of the Rav who was there for the whole world and his own kids were supposed to grow up on their own. <laughs> it's not happening anymore. I wish it would, but it's not happening anymore. 
And even then, I'm not sure how much it happened. You have to, we all have to be emotionally present and don't allow disappointment and anger and frustration and sadness to cause you to sever the cords. Feel the pain, experience the pain. You need a good support system. Be empathetic to yourself and to your spouse, but hold on to those children. The relationship is ultimately the most important thing in the world. Thanks for your words of inspiration. Since your visit last year to Aleinu, I've been listening to you every single week on the yeshiva.net. Thank you very much. That means a lot, and I appreciate it very much. And it was a pleasure meeting you and all of you. Another question somebody asks here, what do you think is the most important thing for people to hear right now? (laughs) I'm not of the authority to be able to say what's the most important thing for people to hear. But I think some of the some of the more important things for people to hear is number one, as the Holy Rujana, Rabbi Sol of Rujan said, Yiyush Shaloimi Das. Yiyush comes when there's no das. <laughs> right? Yiyush, the spear, comes when there's no das. And we need das. Das means deep spiritual perception of realizing. That we're never alone. We're never neglected. We're never abandoned. We are fearful. There is fear. But fear can only take root in the soul of a person who feels so alone. That's why it's so important today to have a real deep relationship with your neshama and with your neshama. And I think that's what people really need. Another thing people need, I think, is to understand that the Yisoyed of Yadus is the words of Yaakov Avinu to Esav's Malach. Loi ashalechecha ki imberechtani. I'm not going to let you go until you don't give me a bracha. I'm not just going to go out of this fight wounded. If you were brought into my life to be an adversary, I know that I have to grow from this. I will not let you go without coming out more blessed, more authentic, more wise, more deep, more empowered, more invigorated, more godly, more rejuvenated, and more spirited. Don't just let the corona pass and hope for the day we will come out of it. Yes, Be'ezer Hashem, we should come out of it soon. But I want to turn to my challenges in life and say, I will not let go of you until you do not bless me. I want to come out of this encounter with my adversary, with my Esav. I want to come out more blessed. And this is our role today as leaders, to be able to help show people that path. Take the challenge and come out of it more blessed, more educated, more enlightened, more refined, more humble, less arrogant, more authentic. This is a generation of authenticity. What if the corona has caused our marriages, our marriage, to fall apart? How am I supposed to inspire other people when my home life is a disaster? Okay. 
Maybe we have to have a Pesazah, intimate rabbinical session here, Rabbi Naftali here. This is good. This is, uh, this is heavy questions, heavy questions. So first of all, first of all, you have to know, it's very important. If I can be here for you in a personal way, I don't know the name of the person, but if I can be here for you in a personal way, I'm happy to be here for you. And I'm so sorry for the pain. It is very, very difficult. When the home front is in shambles, it's very hard to inspire others because we feel like we're empty. But I say to you, It's a Gemara Megillah. Shem doesn't bring a Maka without a Refuah. So the Shem Shmuel writes, Shmuel Sachachavar. Do you remember last year, who was it that introduced me the last day? And he said, I have a shamey Shmuel, and it's the best thing you ever heard, but I'm not going to share it because you came here to hear Rabbi Jacobson. And anyway, that was the introduction. Uh, to me. Right, Rabbi Grunfeld. Rabbi Grunfeld. You see, I remember the introduction. He said, I have the best Shemi Shmuel in his classic accent. I have the best Shemi Shmuel in history, but I'm not going to share it because you're here to, to hear Rabbi Jacobson. So I'm still waiting a whole year for the Shemi Shmuel, Rabbi Grunfeld. Okay, just you have a chayv and priyas bal chayv mitzvah, priyas bal chayv mitzvah. Okay, but the Shem Shmuel says in the sechta, he says on the Gemara Masechta, why Hakadosh Baruch Hu, ain't Hakadosh Baruch Hu, maybe makel came makdim refuah lamaka. So he said, he says a beautiful, beautiful word. He says because he, by Yidden, there's no such a thing as a maka. There's only something called an opportunity. The Makkah is really a hachana for a new type of refuah. Like we spoke before. Demolition is the beginning of renovation. A door closed because a new, a new door has to open up. You know why something is being destroyed in my life? Because Hashem is inviting me to open myself up to a deeper reality. Not to remain stuck in my old paradigms. Now, this is deep. And it's not easy. It's painful. Renovation is not easy. If you ever renovated your home and you have a Jewish contractor, you know what I'm talking about. It's not easy to renovate, but it's necessary to expand my horizons. Whenever you're facing a crisis in life, this is what the Gemara is saying. Don't look at it as a crisis. Look at it as an opportunity to flex your muscles. You're destroying the tissue of the old muscles in order to rebuild a whole new reality, a whole new identity. doesn't mean it's easy. And that's why he's makdim refuah lamaka, because the gather of the maka, to say it often, litvish and yeshivish and often, the maka is a din in the refuah. It's not there's a refuah for the maka. No. The whole maka is a gather. It's part of the refuah. That's why the refuah comes before the maka. So Rav Pinchas Hirschbrung was, some of you remember Rav Pinchas Hirschbrung, he was a Talmud of Chachmid Lublin, Rav Meir Shapiro. He was Mamre Shabaki Bashas with the needles. You know, he was the guy with the needles. I remember, and uh, he was the Rav of Montreal. And Rapinchas Hirschprung once told the Brisker Rav, Rabbi Yitzchak Ze'ev, Rabbi Velvel Brisker, he told the Brisker Rav, Rabbi Yitzchak Ze'ev HaLevi Soloveitchik, the son of Rabbi Chaim, of course, Rabbi Velvel, he told them, based on the Gemara Megillah, I think it's Yud Gimel, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't bring a Makkah, until he did not bring the refuah. So that's why we say, and, and, and the Gemara says that by Gentiles, they don't see it that way. 
So he says, that's why we say, So the Welt asks, Hashem heals all the sick, not only Jews. So he said, because by the Jews, it's Before it's Choyle, it's Roife. Now, what does this mean practically? This means practically not that people are not suffering, but it means that we have to have perspective that when I'm facing crisis, I have to know Bermuna, that this is an opportunity for unprecedented growth that my old world had to break for me to build a new world. And I say that to you too. Something in your family is broken. Let's, we have to cry. It's painful. But yiyush shaloi midas. It's not a time to despair. It's a time to be open. Reach out for help with people who are experts in this area. Don't be embarrassed. And now, humbly, ask Hashem to help you figure out how I'm going to take this crisis and very humbly reinvent my life. Now, I'm telling you, it's not easy to reinvent your life. If I had a certain mahalach, what my life is supposed to look like, I will stubbornly cling to that perception. And sometimes our children... I'm going to say this bluntly. Our children literally shatter our spiritual egos. Our children shatter our mahalach of what it means to be a yid, a ben a rov, a manig, a They shatter it. And you can either be angry and resentful and fight it, or you can open yourself up to a new opportunity and say, life is not about my ego. Life is about asking myself, what is the shlichus of my neshama in the world? What does Hashem want from me? And it may be very different than what I thought a year ago. Be open to that. Be open to that. Be open to reinvent yourself. And it's, it's, it's not easy. I'm not just preaching it, you know, like a preacher, a pontificator. <laughs> this is tough. This is painful stuff. This is inner surgery. This is Avodah Hashem. Avoidus Hashem, the word, you know, Avoidus, where does the word Avoidus comes from? It comes from the Malachas of Shabbos, Ma'abed. You know what Ma'abed is? Ibud Oiris, tanning. One of the hardest Malachas, the Gemara says, you have to take the, the, the fur of the animal, the hide of an animal, and transform it into leather that you can use for tefillin, for Sefer Torah, Lahavdil for shoes. That's Avoidus. Avoidus is to transform yourself. And that's sometimes a big Avoidus, Ma'abed. And it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage. Okay. Uh, wow, another question. A lot of questions here people are asking. I see we have like... <laughs> I didn't realize. Okay, wow. There's like another 20 questions. I guess we could do another few and see how it goes. And... Uh, Whoever is getting exhausted, uh, you know what to do in Zoom, right? You could fall asleep in the rabbi's face and he won't mind because he won't see. He won't see. That's the advantage of Zoom. It used to be you had to walk out in the middle of the drasha. Today you don't have to walk out. You could put a picture of yourself smiling and you're not there. It's a mechaya, one of the chasadim, one of the, the silver linings of, uh, of the corona. What would you give an Eitzah for Simcha? What would you give an Eitzah for Simcha? And how do I build 
a better Shalom bias, and that I heard about, but I didn't hear about Simcha. Okay, and now I want to ask you another anonymous question. Another anonymous question. The rabbi mentioned in jest about the fact that there is no corona by the Hasidim. How do we deal with the backlash from our more secular communities who view the more Haredi communities with sad disdain? It has become very hard. How many times can one say, don't judge Judaism by the individual Jews? It's very hard for me to do this. I can't justify the Hasidim anymore. It's a desecration. It's horrible. And also, how do I balance my children, my community, and other communities? I have one more question to ask you. Okay, I guess I'll I'll answer them all together. How do we defend... Okay, this this a lot of people asked. How do we defend the Haredi community? Okay. I'm also very stressed and I'm very isolated. My children are stressed. How do I help all of them? <sighs> okay. <laughs> Let's do step about Simcha. Listen. Ayid, to be Ayid means to be Besimcha. Of course, we get anxious, we get stressed, we get overwhelmed, we get fearful, we get depressed, we get angry. But that's not you. You have to look at yourself every morning and take seriously the words You are a chelik elekamimal and therefore you're besimcha. Your stress, your anxiety, your fear, your dread, your depression, it's not you. You are a piece of Hashem. You're a piece of light. You're a piece of infinity. You're a ray of infinity. You're a fragment of heaven. And that's said about every single one of us. Even if I made mistakes, and even if I'm imperfect, and even if I have a mood disorder, and even if I have mental illness. Do not define the chemical imbalance and the various turmoil that I have in my life as I cannot define them as me. Your essence is full of light. Tahirihi. Your neshama is tahir. And tahir in Aramaic means light. The Balatanya says, because the neshama of a person is the Ur Ein Saif. It's Hashem's infinite light in this world. The more I can remove all the layers that cover up my truth, the more I can be besimcha. So every morning when you wake up, open yourself up and tell Hashem, Maidani I am your shliach in this world. And therefore you're invincible. You're full of light and possibility and optimism and confidence and hope. No trauma, no abuse, no pain, no depression, no mental disorder, no personality disorder. No events of your past can eclipse your pure infinity. Now I know it's hard sometimes to get there, but it's always there. You can trust it. It's always there. And you may need help to remove the debris, to remove the external layers, to remove all the anxiety. You may need help. Maybe you need to speak to somebody. Maybe you need a good support system. Maybe you need good chaveda. Maybe you need a better marriage. Maybe you have to start speaking to yourself a little more. Speak to Hashem a little more. But the point is, 
that simcha is an inherent state of every person. Look at children. Simcha just means you know who you are and you know what you have to do. That's what simcha is. Simcha doesn't mean everything is perfect. Simcha means you know who you are and you know what you have to do. And that's a blessing. I know who I am and I know what's my tafkit. What's my ta- in the words of the Ramchal? What's my tafkid? What's my shlichus in this moment? That's what simcha is. It's the inner sense of satisfaction that I know I'm doing the right thing. So even if I'm dealing with a challenging situation, but I know that I'm doing the right thing. Even if I'm doing tshuva, tshuva is also besimcha. Why? Because I'm doing the right thing. I'm making mens. I'm saying I'm sorry. The fact that I could say I'm sorry, I have to have, have to be joyous. In terms of the Haredi community, <laughs> listen, I'll, I'll be very blunt with you and very frank with you. As you know, when this pandemic began, I started to send out a lot of clips about following the health officials' orders. There were Levias everywhere. And a lot of my friends and colleagues here were just, they were doing their own thing. And I thought they don't understand everything. And... And, you know, I was quite a big proponent of, you know, you got to stay home, you got to be quarantined, social distancing, masks. The shuls were open, mikvahs were open, chasanas, bam mitzvahs. I don't have to tell you, you know what went on here. Hatzalah was very busy. And, and I still feel, you know, that it's sometimes people are very, very negligent, especially people who have issues with health and are older people and they were and are negligent and that's very bothersome. I just, and the reason I'm giving this introduction is that you shouldn't be choshed me of just being completely sold and indoctrinated by another approach. I know that. I just want to bring out the, another approach and it's a very delicate balance. It's very popular to knock all the chassid. <laughs> I know that, okay? But I want to tell you that there's another side to it that people don't realize, and they did realize. They realized that for children and bachrim and girls to stay home for nine months is sakanas nefashas. They realized it right away. And you know what? They did not allow that to happen. I don't think they were always responsible. I think when you're dealing with an older population, you're dealing with a much more serious issues of Hatzalas Nafarshas, but they realize that children are not being affected, Baruch Hashem. Teenagers are not being affected. It's a minuscule percent. And keeping them all home under lockdown, for them, was a much worse pikuach nefesh than the pikuach nefesh of exposing the children in school, which might sometimes have some effects. Now, you can argue with it from today till tomorrow. I'm just trying to explain to you from their perspective, they felt that to shut down all community life and all schools and all shuls would be far more mentally detrimental than the deaths that it may cause. Were they right? I can't say they were right. Were they absolutely wrong? I think when it comes to children and youngsters, they had some powerful, powerful points here. Now, my point here is that I don't know that the final verdict has been given about this. There's people who stayed home and got sick. There's people who went out and didn't get sick. There's people who claim all types of claims. The greatest scientists and doctors don't have a derech achide and a clear shita about this. I think the ambiguity is so, so powerful. 
So therefore, just to condemn them that they don't care and they, they, they don't care about life and they don't care about death, I think is a little immature. I think they have made mistakes. But I think they have also made some decisions that in retrospect cannot be dismissed as purely ludicrous and indifferent and stupid and uh, indifferent to human indifferent to human life. Yes, their culture is one of cohesion and social life. Uh, they, you know, everything by them is, is, is community, community, the kahila, the kahila, the kahila. It was harder for them. That's why they resisted it more. Number one. Number two, they're more isolated. They're not part of the mainstream secular community. Number three, in their culture, they don't trust governments. <laughs> they don't trust, you know, they don't trust uh, institutions just by their culture for good and for bad because of what they've been through and because of how they live. And all of this contributed to it. But I do think that there was one element where they actually got it a little more right than other people. We have here in New York, you know, in certain non-Jewish communities and secular communities, you know, right away, school shut down, let the schools be shut down, you know, till after Tchis HaMesim. Does anybody realize how much pornography happened with teenagers in the last nine months? Does everybody, anybody realize how many breakdowns Domestic violence, how it affected the Yiddishkeit of children and the sanity of children, even in the non-Jewish community, the secular community. You know, speak about those casualties as well. Those are also very serious casualties. The Hasidim, a lot of them did not let them happen. <laughs> I have a secretary. She's a Hasidic girl, a Hasidic young woman. So right when the corona happened, I told her, I guess I won't see you for a while. She says, only for a few days until my kids go back to school. After three days, her kids were back in school. Her kids were back in school after three days. My kids were home for eight months. <laughs> you know what? Her kids were in school after three days. I said, what? Where? She said, we don't use buildings. We use a shtibel, meta basement, meta house, meta this. And I have to say, you know, their family life just went on almost like regular. So I, I have, I'm not going to say I agree with everything, but I think it's important to be a little more balanced. <laughs> That's it. Especially with young, with young people. Okay, next question. Somebody asks here, mothers are overwhelmed with the kids at home and homeschooling. How can we offer them inspiration? How can we offer them opportunities to learn and connect when they don't have the head for anything? other than surviving day by day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, laundry, keeping a house together, having all the kids climbing the walls, and being homeschooled. What's the best way to do this? Thank you for your incredibly inspiring words, as always. Please, God, when this is over, we're looking forward to rebuild our kahilis. What should be our focus? (sighs) Wonderful, wonderful questions. You want to ask, you're asking me to advise for mothers to remain inspired. I think it's so important that husbands and wives here work together. Uh, it's, it's a hard time. It's a hard time. The kids are home. I think we have to create structure. We have to create family time. We have to learn to play with each other, dance with each other, play games, uh, board games. I don't know. Uh, we have to make a fun house as much as possible. Give them good memories. And maybe this can help. In life, we have to ask ourselves this question. 
What does Hashem want from me today? What's my shlichus today? We have grand visions. What life is supposed to look like, what my home is supposed to look like, what Shabbos is supposed to look like. And I tell you this, you know what life is supposed to look like? Exactly what it looks like. You know what Shabbos is supposed to look like? Exactly how it looks. We read Svarim and we get these romantic feelings about what the home is supposed to look like. And then we feel horrible that we're the only losers and horrible Jews who can't create such homes. Let me tell you this. A lot of this is driving people mad. You know, Torah is about life. It's not about illusions and delusions of what things are supposed to look like. Avedis Hashem means don't get stuck in imaginary hallucinations. Embrace reality and realize this is where it's at. To quote Hashem's words to Moshe, Hamakim Ashata Oymadalov Admas Kaidish Hu. Learn to find the Kedusha, the opportunity in the place that you're standing today. And we, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, have to understand if this is the Matzav today, this is the Makim Ashata Oymadalov Admas Kaidish. Don't run away to beautiful trees that are on fire. Find the fire in your home. Yes, my kids are climbing on the walls. Yes, it's stressful. Let's turn this into the dynamic that it can be because this is where Ratzon Hashem is. This is now my mission. This is my shlichus. This is the place. This is where it's happening. This is v'shinantam levanecha, to be a mother, to be a father, to do the best we can. Try to create as many structures as you can, but embrace the fact that we are in chaotic times and we have to all adjust to it and make peace with it and compromise some of our standards and get off some of our high horses and really realize that this is the place. In terms of rebuilding the Kehillahs, what should be our focus? I think our focus always has to be on those three powerful loves Avas Yisrael, Avas HaTorah, and Avas Hashem. <laughs> I think that's the focus of every kehillah, every successful kehillah. And remembering that those three loves are one. They're integrated. You can't have one without the other. If I love Hashem, and I love Torah, but I don't love Jews, <laughs> it's like somebody telling you, uh, Rabbi Naftali, I love you and I hate your kids. You know, a guy comes to Shul, I love God. And then you meet a Jew and you say, get out of my life. Tell the Rebbeinu Shalom, I love you, I hate your kids. If you hate my kids, you don't love me. There's no Avas Hashem and Avas Atari without Avas Yisrael. But Avas Yisrael is ultimately the love of the Jew, the real Jew, the Pneumius of a Jew. So it's the love of Hashem and it's the love of Torah. So I think the, the Yisoyed of Akehila is the three loves always converging together to create a fire, a positive fire. Those are the three loves to build kehillahs. The youths, 13-year-olds all the way to 17-year-olds, are very confused. Their time at home with screens has been destructive. The questions are various. What does Hashem want from us, they ask. Particularly, it debilitates us paralyzes us. There's no social expression. Do you have a particular message for our teenagers? And again, 
what should we answer people when they want to know why Haredi people don't care about the government rules and they openly flaunt them and dismiss them? How is Arav supposed to deal with this question? Can you please tell me what I'm supposed to tell my people? Also, I find terrible lack of resilience in the youth today. On one hand, there's so many mental issues, and they're all real. Now they're justifying all their excuses of not doing anything because of their mental issues. It's a great excuse. What are we supposed to do? What chizuk am I supposed to give my children and my teenagers? How am I supposed to be mechazek them? How can I be mechazek my teenage children? They can't see their friends. These are such challenging times. The youth are so confused. What would you say to all these people? I think I need some therapy now. Okay. <laughs> what should I tell you? You ask such such good questions. Let me try to be very brief and concise. At least we can touch on the subject. Number one, what should you tell your constituents about Haredi people not following government rules? You're sick and tired of justifying them. I don't know that we have to always justify everybody and everything. I think what I said before is a pretty balanced response, which means as follows. We, you tell them, we are makbid on government rules, social distancing, masks, not mingling, etc. Okay. They are themselves divided. There are plenty of very from Jews who, as you know, are very makbid. Plenty who are not makbid. Okay. And you cannot justify them to their community, especially if people are sensitive. I just think it's helpful if you explain to them that they live in very tight social networks and they have decided that the mental distress, the dangers of suicide, depression, pornography, sexual addiction, TikTok, youth isolation, and as a result mental result, the results of a mental breakdown, for them is very, very dangerous. They may be right, they may be wrong, and therefore they made a decision that they have to keep their community life going. Are they wrong? They may be a thousand percent wrong. They may not be a thousand percent wrong. I'm not justifying them, I'm just trying to explain to my secular friends what's going through their brains. Because we all know that our kids are suffering. Look at your questions. And we also know that the medical community does not exactly know what hit them. (laughs) There is a lot of ambiguity, a lot of doubt. I just think it helps people see it in perspective. And the fact is that the youth and the children are not being affected by this pandemic. The percentage of children and youth who have suffered from it is minuscule. So they say... You can't lock down the whole community because of the elderly. Let the elderly stay at home. They told me, I asked them this question. They said, there's a guy here who opens his shul near me. He has his shul open. What do you have open shul open? He says, my opinion is, if you're in danger, stay home. Don't let your grandchildren come to you. He says, no boys, no girls, no kids should be allowed a social life. It doesn't make sense. It's cruel. It's sadistic. It's barbaric. 
Can I say he's 100% right? I can't say he's 100% right. But every, every intelligent person knows there is some logic to what he's saying. He said, okay, three months lockdown, two months, four months, five months. It's going to be, what if it's another three years? So the most formative years of a child's life, he's going to have no social life. He says, that's cruelty to me. I think, again, I am not, I don't think any of you should, should defend this to your communities who are very sensitive because they'll write you off. But I do think that if you're dealing with a mature person who's not an essential Haredi hater, they understand that you need a balanced perspective here. I don't think what I'm saying is heresy. Forgive me. If it is Hashem Yechaper, Hashem Yechaper uh, Ba'adi. I do know the amount of pornography that has taken place among teenagers. I do know a little bit because of the emails I get. And I see that you know there's another perspective here. Because what does that do to people? You know, There's a lot of deaths and a lot of levias. But that, that demographic is suffering terribly. Which brings me to the next point. What type of chizuk can you give children and teenagers? I think the deepest chizuk we can give them is to say the truth. <laughs> and the truth is, we do not know why the Rebbeinu Shalaylam did this. In the middle of last year, some of our boys were doing so well in yeshiva. Some of our girls were doing exceptionally well in seminary or in schools. And everybody had to come home. And what happened at home? So for two weeks it was exciting, and then it went downhill, at least for many of our boys and girls. We don't know the reason. We don't know. But do we know the reason for all the upheavals in history? Who knows? What I want to tell my children and teenagers is, Tati is here for you. Mommy is here for you. We love you forever. We love having you home. And we're going to turn this into the greatest opportunity that we can according to our capabilities. The sign of greatness is when difficulties come to our door, how do we respond? Do we become victims or do we become partners of creation? Why did Hashem bring this to you? Why are you experiencing all of this? I don't know. But what I do know is that our primary question has to be How do we transform darkness into light? How do we turn bitterness into sweetness? Our religion, our faith, doesn't believe that life is always bright and good. Why does our night begin before our day? Most cultures, you don't begin the day with the night before. The answer is because we come to a world that gives us darkness, and we transform it into light. That's what life is. We come to a world that is filled with darkness, and we transform it. My boys, my girls, here is our world. It's a world of challenge, and a world of darkness, and a world of confusion. And together, we are going to transform it with love, with empathy, with being here for each other, with clarity, with excitement, with joy. And that's why I say to all of you, create as many positive family dynamics as you can. Take a walk once a day, the whole family. Put on music in the house and dance. Play Monopoly, play chess, play Frisbee, play ball. Create quizzes, board games. Learn together, daven together, eat together. You know? Eat together, like the old days. Breakfast, lunch, 
supper, just eat, eat together, shmuas, argue. But let the love flow. Let They have to feel the connection. They have to feel your heartbeat. And even if you're in a bad mood, so go out to the street and tell the trees about your moods. That's fine. Trees don't mind. They'll be here to support you. But at home, you just want to be able to connect. You want to be able to connect. And, to, and for this, our marriages have to be solid. And, and, and as much as possible, you know, again, I know different people have different cultures in this. You know, watch things with your kids. Just whatever you can. You know, do puzzles, uh, do things, whatever. You, make cotton candy, make Rice crispy uh, fluffs. Uh, do musical cheers. You know how to play musical cheers? Play music. <laughs> you just got to, you got to, uh, you know, we got we to gotta create good memories and, and, and be there and make sure you're there for dinner. And don't allow your askanas haklal to take you away from the family because they are the first community that needs you today. Uh, I know we're rabbis and we have arachrayis and you have a mission and you have shiurim, but the first the first community you got to take care of is the kids at school, the kids the, which is in your house. <laughs> you're all running yeshivas today. You all became rosh yeshivas and your wives became directors of seminaries and beis yakovs, and uh, and that's that's beautiful. So. <laughs> So, so that's it. It's part of your Aleinu mission is everybody had to open up a school. Well, that's fine. So you opened up a school and let's take it seriously. And we have to have good recess and good breaks and a good curriculum. And, uh, and the principals and the teachers can get upset too often. They, they can get upset, but they got to let it out somewhere else. And uh, they have to realize that each of these children is a, is a value gem, a timeless gem and a priceless gift and a little diamond that we were given and entrusted with to polish and just keep on polishing those diamonds and uh, let the discipline be there, but let it be there with, with, with seichel and with empathy and with love and with, with havana and with a lot, of, uh, a lot of understanding. I have another question. The question is, how do we inspire young married guys who lost their connections they lost their jobs. They lost their connection to Yiddishkeit. They're falling out of our community. There's no davening. Because of Corona, there's no minion for months. All these young people are now lost to our community. Also, the more Hamish community seem to be much more relaxed about the lockdown measures than the more secular communities, the more modern communities. Living in a secular community, we are often torn between keeping the measures and being more lenient, like the from community. What is the Torah approach about lockdown measures? And why are the Haredim and the Hamish Jews much more relaxed? I'm going to tell you something that I feel is real. And, and I say this without, judgmental, without judgmentalism at all. The world is now confused, very confused. People are very fearful. My sister lives in Manhattan. She tells me Manhattan is a cemetery. People are frightened. Manhattan, Manhattan, a center of the world, a cemetery. She asked me why. I said, Khani, I'll tell you why. People in Manhattan thought they control the world. The moment they realized they don't control the world, they're overwhelmed. 
Hamish Eden never thought they controlled the world. They always knew God controlled the world. So why should they be afraid? If you thought you controlled the world, suddenly you realize you lost control. You panic. But if you knew that you never controlled the world, three years ago you controlled the world, Hashem controlled the world, and He's still controlling the world. Let Him do His job. And I want you to understand this. You see now what Torah does for people. I'm not talking about following the measures of health officials. I'm talking about a hashkafa. Toila Eretz Alblima. He suspends the earth in mid-ear. Hamechadish betuvay bechol yom tamed masibereshus. Ayid amaymin knows. I have seventy trillion cells. They're functioning in perfect harmony. Because Rafei Khalbasar Umafli Lasis. Golivia Dua Lefanecha Shimi Sasimechal Mami Sech Yevshiliskaima Filusha Achas. If God says, you know what? We're getting rid of the oxygen for a couple of minutes. Every moment is a ness. Chacham Tzvi says that nature is simply frequent miracles. Sunrise, sunset. There's oxygen, there's cells, there's atoms. It's a net every moment. Anyone who studies basics, chemistry, science, physics, cosmology, astronomy, geology, botany. <laughs> it, every moment is a miracle. So Ayida Maimon says, you were in control a year ago before Corona, I controlled something. Hashem controlled everything, every single moment. He created the world every single moment. He's still controlling it. Let him do it. But people who thought they owned the world, they got anxious because suddenly they realized they don't own the world. That's why I say to you, there's a lot to learn from them. What you can learn from them is the reason they relaxed is not they did, they had funerals and they had losses, but they don't surrender to fear. They know that the Rebbeinu Shalolam, yeah, who levado who right? He is the full and only Balabas of the world, and he loves everyone unconditionally. Bonim Atem. Racham of Alkal Maisav. You learn Chavis Alavavis. Everybody should learn Chavis Alavavis Shara Bitachin. It's a mitzvah to learn today. Learn it and chazer it and chazer it and breathe it, and then you won't be driven by fear. The Balshemtiv, his father died when he was five. Before he died, his name was Rebeliezer. He said, Yisraelik. I leave the world and I say two things to you. Number one, don't fear anybody or anything in the world besides Hashem. Number two, love every Jew with all your heart and all your soul. And that became the two pillars of his life, two pillars of Chassidus. Don't fear anybody or anything but Hashem. But when we're apologetic, when we're not sure if we're Jewish, if we're secular, when we allow the Olam Hazah to take over, we become driven by fear. So I think we have to learn to follow the regulations, but relaxation, menuchas ha-nefesh, menuchas not to be fearful, not to be overwhelmed, to realize God runs the world for real. We were conceived in love. Ahafti eschem omer Hashem, oyev ama Yisrael, haboycher ba'ama Yisrael, ba'ava, avas oylam ahaftanu, and if you're an Ashkenazi, ava rabba, even better. Even better. Even if Avas Olam Averabi, even better. 
what's the Torah approach about what regulations to follow, what regulations not to follow? This you'll discuss with your Paisik. Exactly, Alpi Halacha, what regulations you have to follow, what you regulate. And I'm to follow, of course, is considerations of health, there's considerations of Chilul Hashem, there's considerations of Maris Ayin, there's considerations of being an example for your community. You don't need them writing off the rabbi and the rabbitsin as irresponsible hooligans. So these are all considerations. Discuss it with your Paisik, with a Meir Hayra, who has Seichel Ayasher, who understands the Matzav, and who also understands what it means to have children locked up in the house. And you'll make a decision. What's, uh, I don't know that there's a clear, you know, Allah and Tayyid exactly. Do I go out this way? Do I go out that way? Do my, these are things that are ambiguous. It, because a lot of it has to do with perception and al-tifrish minat sibur and chilol Hashem, etc. So I think it's important to get guidance from somebody who understands the matzav, understands what it means to have children at home, knows the reality of the situation and can guide you al what's the proper thing to do. I do not know that there's one answer for every person and for every single situation. I think when you have kids at home and teenagers at home, we have to be very considerate and sensitive to that struggle and to that challenge. What do you say about mental illness among youth and the lack of resilience and it became an excuse for everybody, for so many people leaving Yiddishkeit? You really want to discuss every single problem here in this session, I see, that's facing the Jewish people. You're touching on a very, very serious issue now. Uh, Suicide and depression and mental illness and drug usage and all this. This is very serious stuff now. The bottom line is like this. I don't see it so much as an excuse. I see a lot, a lot of pain. I see a lot, a lot of confusion. I don't see a lot of bad kids today. Forgive me. That's my approach. I have a little experience with I don't see bad kids. I don't see 16-year-olds, 15-year-olds who's saying, I'm a mumer lahachis. I don't even see a mumer l'tayoven today. I don't see mumer l'hachis. I don't see mumer l'tayoven. I don't. I'm telling you my experience. I'm not telling you Allah Maybe I'm wrong. In my experience. I don't see mumer l'hachis. I don't see mumer l'tayoven. I see mumer beglal ke'ev. Because of pain. That's what I see. I don't see teenagers rebelling because I hate Yiddishkeit and I'm going to prove that God doesn't exist and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy it because I want to destroy Judaism. Or because I love pork and I love shiksas. I don't see that. I mamers don't. I see confusion. I see pain. I see trauma. I see kids who are afraid of being hypocrites. They say, I don't feel God. I don't feel like davening. I don't feel like learning. There's no point in learning Gemara. And it's much easier to, to, to do pot and to, to do other things and to be addicted to, to your screens than, 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 than to sit and steig and learning and, and davening and, and avoid the session. And there's a lot of confusion. There's trauma. There's the victims of a lot of abuse, of molestation, physical or emotional or psychological. And I'm not justifying here, chas v'shalom, somebody doing the wrong thing. I'm saying, I don't think as a community and as rabbis, we will help anybody by pointing fingers and saying, they're a bunch of brats, they're a lazy good-for-nothings, they're looking for excuses. I don't think that people that have their finger on the pulse are speaking that language. I have been to hundreds of conference of Jewish leaders, like Aleinu last year, 
out of hundreds, dozens and dozens over the years, including mental health conferences of organizations, of cure of organizations, and organizations that deal with the from community, OTD, suicide, teenage depression, mental health issues, molestation issues, abuse. I've been on a lot, a lot of conferences. There was a conference Amudin made in Deal, New Jersey, of 80 organizations in America that deal with social work, therapy, healing, so 80 organizations. And, and, I, and, I, and I spoke to hundreds of people who deal with this. They're in the trenches. And I don't hear this language from people that have their finger on the pulse. They're just a bunch of lazy kids who take advantage of everybody and we have to smack them up and put them in their place. I'm not hearing that language. Does it exist? Maybe it exists. But that's not the common area and I, that's not the common consensus and I don't think it's going to help us. I think we have to really tune in to our children, and it starts at a very young age. Your kid doesn't want to go to school, okay? I had a boy, he was very young. He didn't want to go to school. You know, so I grew up in, uh, I grew up like all of us. I didn't know much, so I gave him a frask to go to school, right? No, he's not going. So I gave him another patch. <laughs> Today, I regret it. Why? I was talking to my wife yesterday about it. I think he had to go to school, but I first had to find out what's really bothering him. Why does he not want to go to school? That's the approach. The approach is maybe you have to send your kid to school, but you have to give him the tools and you have to find out what's bothering him. And the same is true with every age. Maybe discipline is the right way, but you have to make sure he understands that you understand him. The key is that your kids have to know that you understand them. You get them. You're there with them. You empathize with them. You get them. What the right approach is? Maybe he has to go to school. Maybe he doesn't have to go to school. Maybe he has to go to a different school. Maybe he can't go to school. Maybe he needs to go to school and has to be pushed. But make sure you understand what this boy and girl are going through. This is critical. You understand as best as you can. And we have to also realize that there are kids today who are what some people call stage four. Stage four spiritual cancer, and all the rules change. <laughs> Stage four spiritual cancer, all the rules change. We have to realize that. We also have to realize that severing our cords with our children should not be an option in 98% of cases. You do not sever your cords with your children and throw them out. Maybe there are exceptions, but generally we have to hold on to those connections that I said earlier. These are some thoughts that I have. Next question. I agree with everything you said. However, how do I imbalance my expectations with the world I come from, following halacha, following Torah, following one's job, owning your life? I'm also a manager and I have a job. And how can I be there for my children, myself? It takes time. How do I balance my different responsibilities and how do I balance my expectations for my children? How do we manage also the intensification of the period between the Hasidic and the more modern Kehillahs that are becoming more and more divided? Also, this doesn't explain all the shuls that operate without masks. Let them go to school. But why are all the shuls without masks? Why are there large weddings? Why are older people dancing with younger people? Does any of this make sense to you? 
Do you have a good argument to persuade people? I'm not hearing an argument here. What about persuading a family member to disobey the wishes of the deceased to be cremated? Okay, that's another sugya. We're soon going to get to Evan Ezek, Hashemishput. You can ask me about Agunas. You can ask me about uh, bipolar. You can ask me about psychosis. Then you're going to ask me how to pay taxes. Okay. So, okay, in terms of your children, let's, let's finish with that. We all want and yearn that our children should be Shemre Tayro Mitzvah, Yire Hashem, Menchen, Vairamayidin, Erlichayidin, filled with Avas Hashem, Yiris Hashem. This is the dream of every of every one of our parents, of every one of us, and every one, every Jewish parent. This is what we cherish, what we hope for, what we pray for. Right? I, I need not elaborate. And when we see that's not happening, we're in pain. And that's good. It means you care. We cry, we feel sadness. And that's normal and it's good. And you have to be able to talk to your spouse about this and talk to people who can help you. But now, you have to stand up and say, what's my shlichus? What's my mission? I'm going to walk around angry at my kid. I'm going to say, you're not part of my family, get out of my house. Is that going to help anybody? Is that how you're going to bring your kid closer to Yiddishkeit? I have to ask myself, what does Hashem want from me as a parent right now? How can I be there for this child? How can I be mechazek this child? How can I make it work? What, the, what are the needs of this child? What is this child dealing with? And be honest with your emotions. Create space for your pain. But don't allow your pain to alienate you from what your purpose and mission is right now. And I know this is a deep avoida. It takes a lot of inner work. I have to transcend my ego, transcend my insecurities. But this is my role, to tune in to where my child is right now and to love him and to connect to him and to understand him and to see what he's going through and to appreciate him and to give him the attention he needs and to make him know that his parents are going to be behind him through thick and thin and will love him forever unconditionally and will guide him through his challenges and crisis with commitment. And we will try to tune in as best as possible to his own inner journey and to be able to be there for him in that journey. And that may mean being open to things we did not expect when we ourselves were growing up. I'm being blunt with you, but I think this is the truth. And and all of us are dealing with it. Most of us are dealing with this today. In terms of the fact that you have a business and you're a manager and you can't spend so much time at home, I get that. And my suggestion to you is carve out time every day. Just as if you would have a very important client, you would make a meeting three to four in the afternoon, you meet with this person, do this with your children. Six to eight, seven to nine, eight to ten, five to seven. I told this to a parent, no, I'm there for my kids 24 hours a day. You know what happens when you have that attitude? You're there for them zero hours a day because you're always busy. I have a shir, I'm a rav, I'm a rabbitson, I have a zoom, I have a meeting, I have a this, I have a nichem avelim, I have, a, I have work. Let your children be like your clients. 
six to eight, every night, kids. Seven to nine, whatever works in your family. So do that. Carve out time. In terms of from people by chasanas and shuls with older people, I think that some of it is very irresponsible. I think also that some people's attack of it is coming a little bit from their own panic. Meaning, if an older person says, I have antibodies, or I had it already, or uh, I have a blood type that's not being affected, and me, I chose, I want to live rather than stay locked up at home, even though I'm 75 years old. You could say that they're crazy. But I don't think it could be dismissed completely. <laughs> My mother, God bless her, is an older lady. She's a feisty lady. She was locked up in her house for, for, for eight months, seven months. No weddings, no grandchildren. It was hard for Pesach alone. And my mother likes, uh, she's a lebedika afroi. At some point she told me, she says, why, why? I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I need to live. <laughs> I need to go back to work. And you know what? She's cautious, but she decided I can't be locked up anymore. I can't say, so some of my siblings say, it's not right, mommy is endangering her life. And my mother says, listen, I cannot stay home, okay? I need to see my kids. I need to, she's a teacher. I need to go teach. Baruch Hashem, she's, uh, she's, she's old. What am I going to tell her? Ma, you're, 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 you're crazy, you're killing yourself. She says, I, 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 have, I, I have been exposed many times. I have antibodies. I'm good to go. I'm in. I'm in. Fine. You, you get my point? I'm not saying every one of those chasinas is responsible. There may be a lot of mistakes. But I can appreciate the fact that some people say, I want to take the risk for me being home is, is, is much worse. Other people have a different approach. I, I don't need I don't see the need to demonize one approach. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't see the need to demonize. You say they're killing everybody. Are they killing everybody? Uh, really? They're, they're, there's more shvichas dumb over there than anywhere else. I'm not sure. Maybe I don't know. I don't know that there's enough research just to demonize them and say that they're they're, they're murderers. They're causing people to die in numbers beyond the secular or modern community. Maybe that's the case. I happen to be careful. I happen to be, I'm not a fan of all this. I, I am myself sensitive to it, especially because I mingle with other communities. But I appreciate, I, I don't see the need to demonize them and turn them into irresponsible, careless people who don't care about death and life. I just think, I think we should not be contaminated by people who have agendas and are stuck in their position and there's nothing else. I think we should all be cautious and careful, but I don't see the need to demonize them because I think a lot of it is not clear and blatant violation of human dignity and human life. I think there is irresponsible stuff there. They do march to their own beat. They don't care about the government. They don't trust governments. They never did. They're isolated communities for good and for bad. They have milus, they have chesroinus. Just to demonize it completely, 
I wouldn't do that, and I think I'm somewhat objective here. Because <laughs> I come from Hasidic stock, so I know the Hasidim very well. But uh, I mingle with a lot of other Jews. I, I think I'm a little objective here. I, in other words, I'm not sold on them, and I'm not sold on the other approach. I just I think the, 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 the way of just demonizing them as, as the murderers of society, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure it's completely true. I think we have to be much more scientifically curious and inquisitive about the real realities. And you know what? Nobody knows. Nobody knows the, the ultimate. I know what happened in New York. They were, they were condemning the Hasidim as the worst. Then came Black Lives Matter riots. And suddenly tens of thousands of people are allowed to demonstrate. No problem. And then Biden won the elections. And no problem for the mayor and the governor of New York to join celebrations and parades with tens of thousands of people. Why? Because Biden won. Joe Biden won. Okay. Maybe it's right. But when the Hasidim do it, it's the worst of the worst. My point is, if it's Mamr Sakonis Nefashas, so when Joe Biden wins, we're allowed to kill everybody in New York because Biden won? Elamites, not Mamr Sakonis Nefashas. So, so what's this double standard here? So you'll say it doesn't make the Hasidim right. Maybe, maybe they're wrong. But to say that every time people come together is, is, is absolutely wrong, I'm not sure. Forgive my ignorance. I confess ignorance about this. What about modeling excellence? Analyzing where we have gone and going in the right way. Are there lessons which can be learned straight from the stories of successes. How do we learn from others about using this time in a powerful way? Well, I think if you study Jewish history, and I'm gonna, I think I'll finish with this, you'll see a fascinating pattern. Every single time Jews faced crisis, they emerged from it extraordinarily more powerful, and they created tremendously new revelations in Torah and in life. After Churban Bayes Rishon, Yechezkel speaks about the Mikdash Ma'at, the institution of the Jewish Shul, of the Beis HaKnesses, Beis Medrash. Now the Shekhinah won't be in one place. Shekhinah is going to be in every place where Jews come together to learn and daven. Incredible what the Shul did for Kalal Yisro. Of course, modeled by other religions as well. But it started with after Churban Bayes Rishon, Yechezkel, Ve'ehilam Mikdash Ma'at. Churban Bayesheni was the worst of the worst. What happens after Churban Bayesheni? We have the development and the creation of Mishnayis, followed by Mechilta, or with Mechilta, Sifri, Sifra, all the Midrashim, the Zohar, the Sifri Kabbalah, followed by Talmud Bavli, Talmud Yerushalmi, Rabbanon Tzvarai. Churban Bayesheni should have been the end. It created the Tzmicha, the blossoming of the brightest generations of the Tanoim, the Amirayim, the Crusaders wiped out the communities of Shum, Spire, Vermeiza, Mainz, Spire, Worms, Mainz. And it created, it unleashed unprecedented growth of the Chachmei Ashkenaz. Rashi was writing during the Crusades, 1096. The Balei all of the Chachmei Ashkenaz, which produced the, the, the rich, glorious literature of Ashkenazic Torah and Halacha, especially the Balea Toisvis and all the Rishonim of the, Ashkenaz, of the Ashkenazi communities. You go to Spain, to Sfart, the horrific expulsion of 1492, followed by a hundred years of inquisition and persecution. And suddenly it produced 
the golden era of, of the greatest Mekobolim in Sfas and in Italy. People like the Beis Yosef, Rabbi Shleim Al-Kabbas, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, the Arizal, the Reish Chachma, Marie Beirav, the explosion of Teres HaNister, of Teres HaSoyed, it was unheard of. And all, you know, we, we sing L'chadoidi Likraskala as though it was a poem that was written on the top of Him- the Himalayas on a nice, beautiful day, when it was written by people who were downtrodden and persecuted and, and took their, their crisis and turned it into a symphony, turned it into music. And then came the horrific period of, of Tachvetat, 1648 and 1649. Shapsi Tzvi debacle, the false Mashiach, which devastated the Jews of Europe with, with, with the Meshagasen of, of, of Shapsi Tzvi. And the poverty of, of those years was incredible. And suddenly the whole movement of the Baal and the Hasidic movement, which changed millions of Jewish lives in Eastern Europe, sprung up on the heels of such tragedy. And then the whole yeshiva world, the Vilna Gon, Reb Chaim Valajna, all the Talmidim from the G'dayli Lita, an explosion of, of Sfarim and Torah and the Darke Halimud and the whole yeshiva system in, in what's called the literature world, so to speak. Oh, it sprung up on the heels of, of the Haskalah, of the Enlightenment, which, which decimated much of religious Jewish life in Western Europe and then in Eastern Europe. And then in our generation, following the greatest Churban of humanity, the Holocaust, what did Jews do the next day? They rebuilt Eretz Yisrael. They rebuilt Torah and Jewish communities and shuls and institutions and yeshivas and kailulim and, and, and schools and seminaries and, and batei chinuch in every corner of the world. The, the, the greatest devastation to Klal Yisrael unleashed an unprecedented rejuvenation of, of Torah, of Emuna, of Bitochen, of waiting for Gaul, of rebuilding Jewish life on every level. Mass assimilation of our generation unleashed extraordinary organizations of Kiruv, like Aleinu, <laughs> and everyone affiliated with Aleinu, focused on reaching out to Jews despite all the numbers that we're losing. What does this show you? The motto of Judaism has always been, Loi Asha We don't go away from a crisis, even unscathed. We say, I will take you with me. I will go away from you more blessed. And I say to you today, my dear brothers and sisters, we're facing a crisis and our motto must be, we will emerge from this more wise, more blessed, more authentic, more real, more unified, more godly, more pure, more holy. We will emerge from this with an expansive consciousness a consciousness of oneness, a consciousness of godliness, a consciousness of Gula. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Yes, you can say good job. Shabbos, good chaydish. Afreilich chaydish. Yichatsheyu hakadosh baruch hu. Lechayim ulesas. Lechayim ulesimcha. Lechayim ulesalom. Lesasim ulesimcha. Lishuel nachama. The pasuk says in Dvarim, "Beyoyim ashtei aser chaydish beechad lachaydish hoyil Moshe beiris atayra azayis leimer." Rish chaydish shvat Moshe began. Expounding Mishnah Torah, so it's a big day. 
Beiris HaTayra Azoiz. Rashi says, Shivim Lashem. He explained it in 70 languages. Why? Why did Moshe have to teach Torah in the desert in 70 languages? It's a shtarka shayla. A lot of Mepharshim ask it. Why? Later Jews won't know Hebrew, but in the Midbar they all knew Hebrew. They all knew Lashon Kaidish. Why did he have to explain it in 70 languages? So I once heard a word from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He said a beautiful word. A shtikala briske, a shtikala litvisha briske word. A beautiful word. He said, because Moshe knew that in future generations, Jews will have to be able to teach Torah in English, and in Yiddish, and in Ladino, and in Spanish, and in French, and in Russian, and in Portuguese, and in so many other languages, including the Queen's English. And the question is, if I'm teaching a Blad Gemara in English, or a Pasuk Chumash in English, does it have the Chalois of Gdusha Satayra? Or it's just a nice translation. Is it the same fire of Tvar Hashem? And Torah comes from Moshe. He was the one who Hashem gave Torah through. So Moshe taught the whole Torah B'Shivim Lashem. So he created a Chalois Kedusha Satayra on every one of the 70 languages that any Jew will communicate Torah in any language will be able to channel the divine Kayach of Torah. And that's your job. To be with Hatzloch Rabbah. Everybody... Stay well. Chazak, chazak, is chazek. My love and blessings to each and every one of you. And I bless you that Hashem should give you each the chizuk and the koyach and the inspiration to be able not just to survive, to thrive. This time should bring out the best in you, the best angels in you and in your spouse and in your family. You should shine like you never shone before. There was a, a writer, Thomas Paine, right? I want to paraphrase him. He said, these are times that try men's souls. These are times that try our souls. And I would say they bring out the worst in some people and they bring out the best in other people. May you and I and all of us be those people that during these trying times, they bring out the best angels in us, that we become the greatest people that we can become, to become really ambassadors of hope, leadership, light, healing, wisdom, integrity to our constituents, to the whole Jewish world, and to the whole world. Amen. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.